By tradition, the United States Senate is regarded as the world's greatest deliberative body, a place that relies on courtesy and patience in order for colleagues to move things along and get things done. That all went out the window this week as we witnessed chaos and confusion in several committee rooms, and that's even before the Senate takes up the nomination of Judge Gorsuch to be on the Supreme Court. But who is at fault is in the eye of the beholder. I'm David Hawkins with CQ Roll Call, and this is the Big Story Podcast. To explain what's going on, I'm joined today by CQ Roll Call's leadership editor, Jason Dick, and our senior Senate reporter, Niels Lesniewski. So one way of looking at this, I think, Niels, is that um, the public knows that there's this thing lurking in the Senate called the nuclear option, but things look like nuclear winter even before the nuclear option is deployed. What, what is, what's, take us up to 5,000 feet. What's the, what's the dynamic at play here? If you're a Republican, you would be saying in the Senate that the Democrats haven't gotten over losing the election. Now, if you talk to a Democrat, they're more likely to say that this is actually coming from the White House, that what has happened is that the handling of Congress and the dealing with Congress uh, by the early Trump administration, uh, as made so obvious last Friday with the executive order on uh, restricting immigration from certain uh, countries that have Muslim-majority populations, has sort of poisoned the well in a way that it's not been poisoned uh, previously even in the great days of yore when the Senate was battling over the Civil Rights Act or over the great questions of the day of previous decades. So the um, what we're talking about here, of course, is something that is customarily uh, the low-hanging legislative fruit at the start of a presidential, every presidential administration, the confirmation of the president's cabinet. In, in my time in Washington, which goes back to the Bush 41 administration, there was always one, but at most one cabinet secretary uh, that caused a kerfuffle that the other side decided to fight, whether it was John Tower in the late 1980s or uh, President uh, Clinton's inability to get a, an attorney general confirmed until his third try. Those are, those are the two that come mostly to mind. Now we have a situation where the president has been in office for two weeks. Uh, and there are, what, three or four cabinet-level people confirmed, uh, and the fights are in almost every committee room, including one that you were in this morning. Tell us about that. Well, this morning I was watching what the Finance Committee was doing because, as had happened on uh, Tuesday, the Democrats did not show up. There was a boycott of the uh, Finance Committee's business, uh, namely the confirmation votes at the committee level on the nominations of Tom Price, the Georgia congressman, uh, to be the Health and Human Services Secretary, and of Steve Mnuchin, the pick for Treasury Secretary, which both go through finance. Uh, neither day the Democrats showed up. Uh, and then this morning in uh, what was at least a publicly hastily announced markup, uh, Chairman Orrin G. Hatch, uh, with the assistance of Johnny Isaacson, a Republican senator from Tom Price's home state of Georgia, uh, basically moved to suspend the rules of the committee that require a member of the minority party to be in attendance, moved to suspend the rules, did that by unanimous consent, easy to get unanimous consent when no one from the other party shows up, and then 
basically ram through uh, the nominees through the committee. Uh, and that was not the only uh, drama just in the, in the hour that it's taken us to all get around uh, the table here. The other big drama was in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, Jason, you were watching that one. What was going on there? What was happening in the Judiciary Committee was a little different with finance. Each committee has different organizing rules and principles. So, you know, what works in one to, to sort of stifle a vote, like in the Finance Committee, just simply not showing up, uh, is, is different for something, say, in Judiciary. So in the Judiciary Committee, the Democrats, uh, you know, sat down and, and sort of they, they kind of stuck to their guns and made their points against the nomination of Jeff Sessions, one of their colleagues, Republican colleagues, uh, to be attorney general. The, uh, it got heated uh, around 11 a.m. On, on Wednesday morning uh, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a tete-a-tete between Al Franken, the uh, liberal Democrat from Minnesota, and Senator John Cornyn, the majority whip of Texas. So I'd like to Mr. take this Chairman, opportunity to Chairman, set the I, record straight. I object to... Uh, I object to the senator disparaging a fellow member of the committee here in his absence. I would think he well, he should be here. First would, of all, I would. And secondly, I would hope he, he disparaged me, do it to his face. An extraordinary exchange, which is not supposed to happen between two senators, when one senator has the you know the floor, if you will, in, in the committee, and and Franken and Cornyn sort of just sort of went after one another, and you know it. it neither neither man is particularly. Um, good at backing down from a fight. <laughs> you got like a, you know, a, a judge from Texas who's about six foot four and wears cowboy boots. And we've got a sort of a, a, a cantankerous uh, liberal from, from Minnesota known for going after people, satirizing them on, you know, first on Saturday Night Live, then on Air America, and now uh, as, as someone who's become a sort of a firebrand. So it got really tense. And uh, it, toward the end, uh, the, the chairman, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, uh, reminded uh, Senator Franken that he needed to wrap things up and, and so they, as soon as Franken wrapped up his his uh, his case against Sessions, if you will, uh, they voted eleven to nine to send the nomination to the floor. Has there been uh, yet a nomination sent to the floor by other than a party party line vote, or are the Democrats fighting tooth and nail on every single nominee? Uh, they're not fighting that hard on every nominee. Um, but this brings us to an, uh, an odd sort of asterisk from. Tuesday's proceedings, one of the nominees that had overwhelming bipartisan support coming out of committee was Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who was uh, just confirmed on Tuesday. Uh, For those who are somehow unaware, uh, Secretary Chao is the wife of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And in the normal comity of the Senate, she would have been confirmed by voice vote or unanimous consent at about four o'clock on January the 20th. We're not in that world. The fact that her vote uh, was pushed off until just this week is itself surprising. Uh, But the other thing that close observers of the Senate noticed immediately was that there were only about a handful or a little more than that voting no on the Chow nomination. But one of them was Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader. This and, and Niels is right to point this out because this is this really is sort of an extraordinary breach. And I'm not saying that it's the end of the world, but this just simply doesn't quite happen. Elaine Chao is also a former cabinet member, so as as much as anybody, I mean, can be vetted. She has been vetted. 
Um, l- Democrats have some legitimate complaints about late paperwork and, and lack of agreements with the ethics office and so forth with some of the nominees. Elaine Chow is not in that class. It, it, Niels is absolutely right. In a typical world, uh, you know, a pre-Donald Trump world, if you will, we would have seen her be among the, the, you know, the people who sailed through on the first day. And the fact that there is this breach and then right after, you know, the, this happened uh, on Tuesday, you know, senators, leaders come out of their lunches and they have a little media availability. And the tension has been amped up quite a bit in, in, the, in, in light of what's going on. So obviously one of the, one of the uh, cliches about the Senate, just like we used to call it the world's greatest deliberative body, is that turnabout is fair play. Uh, and what the, what the Democrats who are now in the minority – would say, I think, is that when the Republicans were in the minority, they were just as petulant. Is that fair and true? There certainly has been a degree of petulance from the Republicans when they were in the minority or even when they were in the majority, which you actually hear more of. Uh, maybe the most common name to rattle off the tongue of a Democrat is Merrick Garland, who was, of course, the D.C. appeals judge Uh, Chief Judge, who was blocked from confirmation, even from getting a hearing by Mitch McConnell last year when he was nominated by President Obama to the Supreme Court seat that uh, now has been has a nominee from the Republican side that uh, Donald Trump has nominated. So you hear more about Garland than just about anybody else. Um, But the other thing that I think I haven't heard too much of, but if I know that sort of one of the points that Democrats make as to when this changed was when Chuck Hagel was nominated to be Secretary of Defense by President Obama, the former Republican senator from Nebraska. Uh, And there was all sorts of quarreling and votes that went sideways and, and whatnot with Republican objections to moving forward on who was one of their colleagues in the Republican conference. Uh, I think that the Hegel moment is one that is another marker that that bears uh, keeping in mind as this proceeds. So, uh, of course, what we've been talking about this morning is is um, cabinet nominees and the, and the fact that the Democrats are using every rhetorical tool and parliamentary tool at their disposal to delay these confirmations. But as the three of us all know, they can no longer stop these confirmations from happening indefinitely because they, the Democrats themselves, uh, made the decision uh, a couple of years ago to do away with the filibuster for all nominees with the exception of the Supreme Court. So in the end, all these cabinet secretaries, absent some um, late starting controversy, they're all going to be confirmed. Uh, And then the Democrats are going to have to decide what's how to play their hand uh, on Gorsuch, on Judge Gorsuch, President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. It's early. It's only been it's been less than a full day since the Gorsuch uh, nomination was announced in the East Room. What is each of your early take on how the Democrats will play this? I think it's entirely an open question because the base of the Democratic Party is so animated. So the Democrats have a decision to make whether to let someone through who would get through probably from any other Republican president or whether or not they need to appeal to their base, which is anxious for more obstruction, more blockades, 
for going to every step possible to to prevent Judge Gorsuch from being confirmed to the Supreme Court. And then they'll need to decide beyond that whether or not they want to basically block all of the legislating on the Senate floor, too, and whether or not they want to run the risk of the nuclear option uh, to make it so that there's a simple majority for the Supreme Court nominee also applied to the rest of the legislative business that will follow all of these confirmations. One thing, uh, and I, I can't really imp- improve on, on that analysis at all, so I'll just go sort of with a literary sort of metaphor that, that dates to the Senate. The Senate has long, like, held itself as the saucer that cools the hot tea that spills out of the House. The House, you know, is elected every two years, and they, they're supposed to be inflamed with the passions of the country. And then it goes over to the, the Senate, and the, and, the, and the saucer cools the hot tea. The Senate is figuratively in flames because of all the hard feelings about Merrick Garland, about the election, about whether you know proper procedures are happening. So we're seeing that the this big pot of boiling tea is just being poured directly into the saucer right now, and it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold over the next year or so. That's a great way to, to end this uh, particular edition of The Big Story. Uh, I'm David Hawkins uh, of CQ Roll Call. I've been here with my colleagues Jason Dick and Niels Letnuski. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts.